is the Enter Sad Men podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. Hello and welcome to the show. This is the world-famous Enter Sad Men podcast. Good to have your company. I'm Steve, Mark, and Richard are with me as ever. The three of us ready to do what we always do, which is review, rate, and rank three more albums from the genre we love. Hard rock, heavy metal, prog, thrash. I was going to say grunge, but well... So long as it rocks. Oh, and, and the, other, the other rule is we'll review it. And the other rule is it has to come from the years 1970 to 1995, which is our kind of golden age of rock and metal. This is episode 70. So already over 200 albums are in our Hall of Fame, which you can have a, a long leisurely look at if you so wish at our website, entersadmen.co.uk. Um, loads of good stuff on there. We're all over social media as well. So let us know what you think about what we think about the albums we've listened to and reviewed. And, um, and ranked join in the conversation let us know if there's any sort of hidden gems that you've got tucked away or maligned classics from back in the day that you'd like us to get stuck into happy to do all that um, the gig is that we score these albums track by track guess that's what kind of makes our Hall of Fame different and we would contend better than most of the others so we better get on with this we have a tombola named in honour of the Bon Jovi drummer so the Tico Torres tombola of topics and themes and he comes up with a theme for us every time and we pick the albums based very loosely sometimes it has to be said on, um, on, on whatever topic or theme he churns out um, and the last time out he, um, he came up with Energy three albums that have got something possibly to do with energy so who's pushed the envelope the farthest there's only one man to ask first when it comes to that question mark how are you <laughs> i'm good i'm good had a really good week and yes i am the one who's pushed the envelope the furthest i think and i went for something that i kind of dragged out of my physics days back in school and thought well actually i think that is a form of energy but i'm really not quite sure <laughs> Uh, in the end, I went for sound waves. Mm, okay. Which I think is energy. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> and went for the great radio controversy by Tesla, which any excuse to get that into. Exactly. Plus also, obviously, remember, I mean, Nikolai Tesla and all his experimentation with uh, electrical energy and uh, and conversion between forms of energy. So yes, I, yes, I, I, think you absol- I think you absolutely nailed the brief. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did think, I did know that, really, obviously. What about you, Richard? I've gone for, I guess, a, a form of stored energy, if you like, pressure. And uh, we're back to... Uh, Rush, uh, and it's their 1984 release, Grace Under Pressure. Steve, what about you? Well, the first type of energy I thought about was um, was nuclear, which obviously brings up one obvious kind of conclusion. And But it's so recent that we did nuclear assault that I thought better of it. So sod that, and then I thought, well, the only other thing is obviously ACDC. And if I do flick of the switch, that kind of doubles up, doesn't it? Surely. So, um, so there you go. That's where I went. So those are your three albums. This is episode 70. I think they're three crackers. But will we agree or disagree on the calibre and quality of these three albums? All will be revealed. Before we get into chatting about them, let's have a little listen to what we've been listening to over the last seven days or so. Shoulders, but what am I to do? I remember how we talked and 
Making Magic by Tesla, playing out that little sequence there. Hope you enjoyed it. We do this in chronological order, which means we're starting in 1983. Uh, Steve, flick of the switch. ACDC, tell us more. Yes. Opening album sleeve notes. ACDC, flick of the switch. As you've just said, 15th of August, 1983, it was released and recorded in April of that year on the Atlantic label. Producer, well, producers were ACDC rather than Mutt Lang, which we will talk about forthwith, I dare say. Um, And they went to Compass Point in Bahamas to do it. The album before, Lang's Last, was for those about to rock We Salute You in 81, the one after it was Fly on the Wall in 85. The Personnel, Brian Johnson on vocals, Angus Young on lead guitar, Malcolm Young on rhythm guitar, Cliff Williams on bass, and Phil Rudd on drums. Or at least he did play the drums during the album, but he certainly wasn't ACDC's drummer by the time the record hit the, um, hit the record shops. Simon Wright having taken over, Rudd having been sacked. It reached number four in the UK charts, number 15 in the US charts. So Wikipedia says it sold 60,000 copies in the UK. What? Which gains it silver ranking or whatever. It sold 60,000 copies in about five days, I think. So do you know what? I don't know, but it sold a lot more than that. That's all I will say. And it has 10 tracks. Five on side one. They are Rising Power, This House is on Fire, Flick of the Switch, the title track, Nervous Shakedown and Landslide. And side two is Guns for Hire, Deep in the Hole, Bedlam in Belgium, Badlands and Brain Shake. Here is a stat about Flick of the Switch that tells you all you need to know about this album. It is by some distance their least represented album live. And I mean by some distance. I've gone to set lists FM for this. These numbers are stark. There are 10 tracks on this album which are being played live, a combined total of 178 times. Guns were high top of the shop with about 60 plays. So remember that number, 178. For comparison purposes, TNT's total trackage live is 6,303. 178, 6,303. Now I know there's about a decade between them. So Back in Black is 5,600 odd, um, and that was about three years before. Um, Let There Be Rock nearly 5,000. You'll get in the picture. This is an album Album that I don't think any ACDC fan has any real great affection for. One or two might, as we're about to find out. But hand on heart, I can see there's nothing on an ACDC live set that I would want to see replaced by anything on here. That's my thoughts on this album. You're going to have to come back on this because I know you're going to disagree vehemently. I'm I'm pretty certain that those 178 plays 
were all yeah, on the flick of the switch. Yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right. It, it's There's not a huge amount of affection for the album among most fans, I don't think, on whether they're ACDC fans or not. It is the forgotten piece of work, I think, by the band. I didn't like it much when it came out. I'll, I'll be absolutely honest. I really didn't. There were a couple of tracks on it that I thought were you know, really quite good. This House is on Fire and Bedlam and Belgium being two. Nervous Shakedown being another one, I suppose. Over the years, though, I th- I think it is vastly underrated. I, I'm much mm. maligned. I think it's a really, really mm. good album. And if you were to ask me now, I'd say it would be in my top five or six. Yeah, well, I, I, that's why I asked you. Richard, would it be in your top five or six ACDC albums? No, no, probably <laughs> wouldn't. It's the irony, isn't it, of it all? The feeling that they wanted to get back to something more raw and do it for the fan. But um, the fan's reaction was was really muted, yeah. wasn't it? At the time, to be honest to you and our listeners, I don't think I've owned a physical copy of this album because I heard it at the time it came out and it just did not grab me in any way. I, yeah, we'll, we'll go through the tracks. And, and there's, some, there's some good stuff on here, but I still feel you compare it to particularly the two that went before with Johnson and um, the majority of this would be filler on those albums this is kind of for me personally all filler no killer <laughs> as an ACDC album would go interesting I think I think the first zit we've got to burst is is production haven't we I, I'll read this quote from, from the assistant engineer Barry Harris he said after working with Mutt Lang wasn't doing this as we know he'd done the three before and he did and he was sacked in effect Barry Harris said after working with Mutt Lang I think Mal and Angus knew what they didn't want that record to be in my opinion there was never a pairing of musical masters like Mal and Angus and Mutt Lang who approached their craft from a more opposite ideology ACDC is about pounding out and getting on with it while Mutt is a sonic perfectionist with a reputation for driving artists to their breaking points in the studio. We all know the Def Leppard story. So I think they may have just swung the production pendulum a bit too far in the opposite direction in their desire to get back to basics on Flip. And I think that that is this in a nutshell. The Youngs are in the wrong place. They should be playing those instruments that they have in their hand with six strings on them and leaving the rest to someone else better qualified. Am I wrong? It's fascinating, isn't it? And, and, I mean, there are. We'll, we'll talk about production when we discuss Rush next as well. And the age-old discussion we have around producers and bands and bands producing themselves. I mean, I read another quote by Tony Platt, who's one of the other engineers, yeah. I mean, alleged, who allegedly was, it was almost kind of reverse mixed to make it sound mm. um, yeah. more raw. So it wasn't that it was captured no. in this state because they recorded it in, you know, in the in the, those studios, same studios in, in the Bahamas. So Tony said the raw tape sounded closer to Back in Black and they were remixed to sound rawer. I don't know if that's true or not I'm with you Steve I don't think they have got the best out of themselves on this album without a shadow of a doubt it's the production that essentially alienated their you know, the majority of their fan base, no doubt about it. You know, the, the album cover is, is supposed to kind of mm-hmm. reflect the the kind of the whole approach, which was to yeah. strip it all back, yeah. make it all raw. And Tony Platt, I, I read a, it might be in the same interview, where he said, hand on heart, I think if Malcolm and Angus look back at it now, they would say it's not a very good album. Uh, my view, for what it's worth, is if you give the any of these tracks to Mutt Lang and you let him produce them in the way that he did 
for those bouts of rock. I still think these are really good songs. I just think they're badly produced. You know, there are some absolute turkeys on here. Don't get me wrong. Last two tracks on side two, last track on side one. Absolutely filler. Completely agree. But th- this is all. This all comes down to to the production. I think you know, Steve, whether by accident or design, and I suspect by design, you've already got to the nub of the problem, which is they were producing themselves. And we, yeah, you know, we know how that works out with Harry Vanner and George yeah. Young. They couldn't get a hit in America, so they they sacked their own family and and now they've gone full circle and it just makes no yeah. sense but you, you make the point that some of the songs on here rise above that kind of that, that, that nonsensical approach to production I mean I'll, I'll argue and I'll argue it straight away that we get off to a bad start with rising power from from from, from yeah. given ACDC's knack of, of delivering astonishing opening tracks I mean they are the the, the, the masters in, in opening an album you know long way at the top and because I've forgotten them all now but I <laughs> go down <laughs> hell's bells um, well yeah. It goes on and on. Highways to hell. hell, indeed. Thank you. <laughs> this, this is this is almost an anticlimax. Rising power is almost an anticlimax. And for me, and you, you'll disagree. I've given it six and a half out of ten, and I've given it that just because because it's okay. And that's an okay number, and you shouldn't be giving okay numbers to an ACDC song. And and I, and I will contend that the next three, I get very little. Because you're going to bring up this house is on fire. I get very little of a kick out of any of the first four tracks on this album, and I've marked them accordingly. Wow! I, to me, it doesn't start till landslide track five, which is where I think it comes <laughs> off the rails. Interestingly, so is there an opening track on this album? Well, Steve, uh, well, I mean, I mean, landslide's probably a bit too fast, isn't uh, it? Uh, by which I mean, is there a you know a, a uh, an ACDC standard. Uh, well, well, the one ACDC standard on here to me is Bedlam in Belgium, but I, I kind of like it where it is. Or maybe it should be track three, side one, or something. Perhaps here we go again, reorganising albums. But uh, honestly, there's nothing as majestic as, as some of those tracks we mentioned earlier. No, there's nothing else on here, is there? I guess. So I think uh, they've taken a different approach with this album, haven't they? I think, with the benefit of time, if they release this album now, I think we would think it was a decent album if it had better production. But there's absolutely no doubt it is absolutely polarising. Your comment just says a lot for what they're releasing now, Mark, I think. (laughs) Is there a standout track on here? No, I don't. Uh, I guess they could have opened with the title track because I, I, I think actually Flick of the Switch is better than the opening two tracks but I've written here still not an opener I, I'm really surprised that you don't like for example Nervous Shakedown because I think that is a, is a really strong it's got a good yep. shuffle to it it's, oh. got a, you know, it's got some interesting stuff going on compositionally mm-hmm. and it's more ACDC than perhaps the first agree I know Nervous Shakedown for me is the track of the of side one but Nervous Shakedown is a track three it's, it's not an opener <laughs> it does chug it does doff its hat more to old acdc i think with the way it chugs perhaps but the, the blues have gone certainly um in, in in that album but this whole stripped back thing that um you know trying to make it more raw and that ship had sailed anyway hadn't it is it's, it's they were raw when bon scott was on the mic and he's not anymore you know they were raw when they were playing to crowds of 800 to a thousand they're not anymore they're now played to crowds of a hundred thousand or whatever so all i'm seeing at the start of this album certainly is kind of confused it just doesn't come across in strong song writing, and I don't think I don't think they've hit either brief of being particularly raw and stripped back, or being particularly good. I'm quite underwhelmed by the by the opening four tracks. It says a lot about what 
people expect from the band and the fact that the moment they deviate from that the sort of the rails suddenly they're, they're crucified and they're abandoned and you know you you said you were surprised about the numbers about the 60,000 in the UK the 60,000 so I think that's the, I think that is no, the 60,000 yeah. I think I think it is because nobody cared about mm. this album no one cared about this album when it came out you know they all everybody I wanted for those bouts rock part two yeah. Oh yeah, um, mm. you know, yeah, yeah, and and this is the point at which I would contend we've now said goodbye to ACDC's heyday. Nothing they do from this point forward ever recaptures anything up to 1982. This is a really pivotal album for them, and they and they, they get, get it wrong. wrong. So I'm not saying that either of you are, in my opinion, wrong in your in your opinions. It's a misstep for them. What I'm saying is. I actually quite like it on its own merits. Take it away. Forget what you expect from the band. Look at it as a piece of as a suite of music. I like it. Okay. Having written off side one, I do think it finishes brilliantly with Landslide, which has got that kind of, um, this is ACDC riffing and rocking at pace. You know, I mean, their back catalogue is chocker with, with this kind of track where the Rudd, Young M, Williams axis just hits a ridge and just never leave it and just absolutely bombarded from start to finish. I think it's absolutely bloody brilliant. I was getting a bit of kicked in the teeth again with something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't get any better than this. I think it's fantastic. Fantastic. Most the injection of pace, I quite appreciated after being slightly chuggy. So the, the track I like least on Back in Black is Shake yeah. a Leg. And this yeah, for yeah. me is Flick of the Switches, Shake a Leg. <laughs> the same kind of vein. And actually, I prefer this band when they are a bit chuggier and a wow. bit slower. Yeah. I like the finish to the side. Again, it's that and the, 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 the two tracks together, the slower, chuggy one, the faster yeah. one. This won't be the first time we say this track is this album's Back in Black insert track here. Yeah. <laughs> um, was this the point in time where ACDC started to uh, be environmentally friendly and recycle their material? <laughs> I think they started recycling their yeah. material. Second album, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, dirty <laughs> things done. <laughs> cheap. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that the formula this is the Delia Smith approach to making music what I would say about this album is I think it gets better personally I think side two is stronger than side one I've always thought side one was something of an anti-climax until landslide but I, I, I like side two a, a lot better I think Guns for Hire is a classy track I think Bedlam in Belgium is actually a brilliant track I don't dislike the other three this is hardly high praise is it this is a kind of <laughs> the point The point is I, I feel I, I felt when I was listening to it earlier I thought I get this I get the same sense with uh, that I had with Bad Steve's Killing the Night I was thinking you know I'm really enjoying this but it's not a great album and I'm thinking that I'm even mentioning ACDC in the same sentence as Bad Steve is, is just you know the ultimate insult but anyway there you go it's really weird because I have completely the opposite view for me I like Side 1 a lot and if they'd stopped at track 7 if they'd done 7 tracks instead of 10 on this album I'd have been quite happy I, c- I can just about make it 8 with Deep in the Hole but Badlands and Brain, yeah, I, I mean, know, Brain know, Shake know. is just brain yeah, dead, I know. isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's just so lazy. It is weak. True. But yeah, I, I prefer Side 1. Well, really Badlands, he, 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 sound, he suddenly, um, Jono sounds Tom Kiefer, doesn't he? He's, he's suddenly turned into a Cinderella song, um, a bit Long Cold Winter. 
So. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, I rest my case on those three <laughs> words. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that'll be why I quite like Badlands. <laughs> <laughs> but is this, is this part of the problem? I think we all like different tracks as well, whereas isn't the ACDC experience up until this point quite yeah. unifying? There are tracks which everybody loves, and there are, there are tracks on every album that everybody or the majority of people will go, yeah, probably not quite so good as the rest of the album. But on this, the three of us can't agree what's good. Guns for Hire, could that have opened the album? Could, it would have been all right. Yeah, Guns for Hire probably is. That is the one song that they've played most off this album, I think, live. Um, I think it's quite a classy little number, Guns for Hire, personally. There's sort of, a magnificent sort of rolling backbeat running through it. But again, they've hardly touched it since. I think it's one of the better songs. But Bedlam in Belgium, to me, is... Um, you like that, don't you, Mark? Absolutely yeah. love it, yeah. I mean, what a riff, you know. Yeah, and what a hook like. Yes, exactly. I mean, that is ACDC at their best, but, but whichever era, I think, a track like that. But those highs are so few and far between. Bedlam in Belgium, it, it's fine, but for me, it's just a rehash of what do you do for money, honey? Yeah. It's okay. I'm not sure we can start criticising ACDC for having our uh, tracks that sound like I know. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a bit unfair. <laughs> yeah. That's not a stick. That's not a stick we want to start beating them. Like, right. Crocus have, Crocus have oh. built their entire career on rehashing ACDC songs. So, um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, any more thoughts on side two? Anything that um, catches your eye particularly, or is it as, is it as asinine and, and um, average as, as, as we've already indicated? No, it should have been nine tracks long yeah. because Brain Shake is just, it's got to be one of the worst songs I've ever put on an album. Isn't, isn't it, it odd? Mm. I just, it just, yeah. It's, it's a galloping pace isn't it but but there's um it's just not them is it no i find it very unmemorable yeah. you know what i mean if you turn all your spotify and everything off and hum me the riff from brain shape i doubt you could remember yeah. it. unmemorable that, that i mean that's the word for the album as far as i'm concerned don't look at me like that yeah well <laughs> so, so, so how about some highs and lows then what's um give, give me some numbers give me some numbers babies well i mean let me start the brain shake is by far the worst track on this album for me and yeah Force me to choose. I think I'd probably have to go for Bedlam in Belgium, but it'd be pushed close by um, Nervous Shakedown, and it would also be pushed close for me by This House Is On Fire. But you know, yeah, Richard. Yeah, I'm with uh, Mark on Brain Shake as the low, and uh, Nervous Shakedown would be my. Okay. High. Yeah. I don't. I don't like Rising Power, and, and and I almost feel compelled to mark it down because it's an opener and should be better than that. But I still don't think it's as bad as Brain Shake. I'm, I'm with you on that. And um, yeah, I'm sorry, Landslide. I love Landslide a bit. I think it's a great track wow i'll be really fascinated to see how um how this scores I- i'll already put it out there that i think this will be the lowest scoring of, of all the acdc catalog that we cover because of course we only go up to 95 so it's, it's gonna sink isn't it by their oh, high standards hold on we hold on we've got to do raises yeah. which i know which i know you know all of the all the plastic ACDC fans love, but which, with the exception well, of one song, is quite yeah, yeah. That, that one, that one so, song yeah. might um, might redeem the situation a little bit, but um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there you go. That's ACDC's flick of the switch, all done and dusted. We will, um, we'll. I'll be interested to see what the marks are, um, and we'll sort those out in a couple of albums' time. Because first things first, we have to do our next album. Fast forward a few months and Rush and Grace Under Pressure. Richard, opening album sleeve notes. Yes, released. Uh, 
by April 1984. So it's their 10th studio album, recorded uh, late 83 into March 84. They did spend, what, about uh, four or so months in the studio, not the three weeks that ACDC did. It was released on multiple labels, Anthem, Vertigo, Mercury, Epic, depending on uh, what market you're in. Released here in the UK on uh, on Vertigo. A little bit longer than uh, Flick of the Switch. It's uh, 39 minutes or so in length uh, recorded, where they did most of their recording around that time, moving pictures, signals, etc. at uh, Le Studio in uh, Quebec. Yes, so it was preceded by signals in 82, succeeded by Power Windows in 1985. Personnel, well, we know them, don't we? Rush, Geddy Lee, Alex Lifeson and Neil. Chart-wise, it did pretty well. Uh, five uh, Reached five in the UK and uh, number 10 in the US. Sales-wise, similar to Flick of the Switch, reached silver at least here in the UK, but it went platinum in, in the US. Track-wise, eight tracks, uh, just the four on each side, all around the four, four, five minutes in length, uh, written as usual by Lee and Lifeson music-wise and Piet writing the lyrics. Some parallels with uh, Flick of the Switch here and producers, because uh, just as uh, we had Exit Mutt, Lang uh, with Flick of the Switch uh, for Grace Under Pressure, we had Exit Terry Brown. Uh, they decided that their fourth unofficial band member it was time to part ways. They wanted fresh impetus and a, a new pair of ears. They were worried that things had become a bit too predictable and felt they were in a rut. And I guess that Brown was the easiest member to replace, prevented them having perhaps too hard a look at uh, themselves in terms of the, the, the three core musicians. It also also represented uh, parallels again to flick of the switch a, a shift in their sound i think a big shift i'm fascinated to to hear what you guys think of this i mean the yeah, massive use of synthesizers of all of their albums i think this is one where you can absolutely nail on when it was recorded because of the sounds that you hear on it they tried to find someone to replace terry brown but failed they approached various people including chris squire trevor horn steve lillywhite agreed uh, to produce the album for them until he got an offer to produce Simple Minds Sparkle in the Rain. Two weeks prior to Rush entering the studio, uh, Steve Lillywhite buggered off. They uh, settled on the guy called Peter Henderson, who had uh, previously produced, engineered and mixed uh, Supertramp's Breakfast in America. In terms of how it was received by Rush fans, um, by some not very well at all. I quite liked it. I don't know if you two had, had heard much of, of this album before uh, we've been reviewing it for, for this show. No, not at all, actually. Yeah, very little. It's the, it's the Brown story that's quite interesting because I got the sense that Henderson was just little more than a patsy, just someone to bully around, really. I mean, why didn't they use Brown? What was the what was the thinking? It's a bit like we were talking earlier with about ACDC and the fact that, you know, they, they come full circle to producing it themselves after they realised that the one thing they shouldn't do was produce it mm. themselves. It, it's viewed that it was really only with the arrival of Peter Collins, who then produced Power Windows and then, and then you know, when Rush then hit their next real peak of quality and creativity on with Peter Collins again on Roll the Bones did they then feel that they were they were out of this rut um, I think actually Terry Brown got the blame for stuff that actually was nothing mm. to do with him I really like this Richard I think it's um, you're right you listen to it and you immediately think but well, it's it's of a, of a time isn't it absolutely of a time I think of the opening line to Tenacious D's tribute this is the greatest and best song in the world and I just think that's where Rush are with this they just think you know what this is 
1984, synth rock's approaching its peak. Rush have been dabbling with keyboards and synths. We know that on the last album, whatever. And they just thought, you know what? Let's stop arsing around. Let's just write the greatest synth rock album there's ever been. That's what we'll do. And that's what they've done. Um, and it's just so them. They have the, the confidence and the cleverness and the imagination to pull it off. I just think this, this knocks the bollocks off any other rock band trying to do this sort of stuff. I think it's brilliant. I think it's so clever in so many ways. There's still a couple of moments, yeah. one, one <laughs> yeah. in particular. I get why Rush fans don't like it, but, but Rush fans should know you're not going to put a harness on this lot because they're just too creative. I mean, the, the, mm. there's no there's, there's no challenge they won't take up. But I guess that's what I quite like about it. I think it's a great album. I really do, really enjoyed it. I had to really shift my mindset when <laughs> I started playing it because it wasn't anything like I expected. That That's the thing. I think you're absolutely right, Steve. I think this is a band that will kind of take a problem and the problem they had was we're kind of not relevant or we're becoming less relevant now and they kind of look at the blouse-ons and the baggy trousers and the dapper belts and the what have you and they go, oh, well, we'll do some <laughs> of that then. I suppose my question is, was that the right challenge to take up? I really like this album. I really do. There's a lot of red in it, isn't there? <laughs> red lenses, red warnings. Yeah. It's like a bloodbath. Yeah, I, I really, really like it. You, you said before we, we sort of started recording, so you said this is Rush does the 80s. And it is. That's exactly mm. what it is. And if you take it for what it is, I, I have no problem with it. What else were they going to do? That's the big yeah. question, isn't it? I guess I get that they couldn't keep ploughing the moving pictures signals forward because that wasn't the way music generally was moving. It's the Cold War. It's the height of the Cold War in many ways. And, you know, they're looking over the Iron Curtain, aren't they? Which is what all of America was doing in 1984. So it's, it's it's kind of super relevant in all sorts of ways. Love about I love about this kind of Cold War shit and distant early warning is a classic example, isn't it? Of um, on in, in its basic form, I'm thinking of those distant the distant early warning line. You know that those whatever they were radar stations, weren't they? That the, the Yanks put up over yeah. the Arctic. I read might be Lifeson. I'm um, talking about ostensibly about that, but just in case they wanted to be about something else, it's also about 14 other different things as well. You know, yes. <laughs> endless late motifs and themes running through every bloody song. You know, which is fairly typical of them, isn't it? God, it's it's so of a time isn't it? And that time was the Cold War, wasn't it? To really nail a time on this, um, just a few weeks before uh, this album's release, uh, the English language version of Nana's 99 Loop Balloons, <laughs> or Red Balloons, yeah. uh, was still at number one in the UK singles chart. So for those of you who were around at the time, I think that places it you know, should place a nail in your life yeah. and what was sort of swirling around us at the time. And I'm in mean, a real, you know, a, a real danger of, of, of the world properly 
blowing up. And but, eventually but, uh, all saved, of course, by the Scorpions whistling. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Geddy Lee said the whole album is, is about being on the brink and having the, the courage and, and strength uh, to survive. He followed up saying, yeah, this is, is a tremendous statement of compassion and empathy with the world. And as Steve points out on the, the open a distant early warning, I mean, whilst some say it's about yeah, nuclear destruction and all of that, it's not. It, it, it's actually about all of the world's problems. Um, and, and actually, you've, you've just got to try and shoulder them and, and get on with it. You know, the world weighs on my shoulders, but what am I to do? You sometimes drive me crazy, but I worry about you. There's a lot of empathy uh, throughout this this album as well. So, yeah, well, let's let's talk about side one. So, uh, yeah, it opens with distant early warning, followed by after image red sector A, um, and uh, then finishes uh, with the enemy within. I've always loved the the first side of this album more than the second. I mean, I, I think these 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 opening certainly the opening three tracks are fantastic. I mean, distant early warning, red red sector A became live staples, and you know were pretty much certainly red sector A nailed in the set list ever since this uh, this album was was released. Um, distant early warnings, you know, big synths, cutting sounds, aren't there? Red sector A, you know, all about obviously that you know a, a camp with guards. Um, some said it paints a picture of the future, but actually the the song came after Lee had recounted the uh, experience of his of his own mother um, who was in the Bergen-Belsen camp uh, in the Second World War suffered obviously all the after effects of it you know she didn't believe that liberation was possible and couldn't actually understand she felt there couldn't have been a society outside the camp because if there was how would they allow these camps to exist people interpreted this song in a particular way and decided that Rush were fascists uh, they've had that thrown at them before, haven't they? Yeah. What, what about side one? What, do you, what, what are your highlights? Love distant early warning. I think it's absolutely superb. Just so well knitted together, so complex. Um, you know, repeats, explosions, quieter, thoughtful parts. Ultimately, just a great tune, fantastic song. I think after image is quite mournful, but it would be given the subject matter. Um, I also think it's a step yeah. down yeah. Um, by quite some distance. Red Sector A is an absolute stunner. I just love it to bits. Um, the opening bars, Lifeson using his whammy bar apparently I read an interview with Lifeson I was going to say it's really interesting but it wasn't it was actually dull as ditch water where he's talking about all the guitar techniques and things he uses throughout the album fuck me he's not just turning up in a studio with a six string and doing this that and the other it's unbelievable the machinery and everything that goes along with you know what he's doing brilliant for, for an aficionado or a guitar head it was a great read great read just shows how cerebral they all really are um, but Red Sector what I like about it is um, I love that kind of sounds like Fade to Grey by Visage those early bars um, mm. and it actually maintains that visage mournfulness throughout but then the subject matter is also pretty bleak anyway as you said and what's interesting about the visage comparison is that I read an interview in which Lifeson acknowledged the guitarist of the time who he really rated mm. and he mentioned Andy Summers of the police and he mentioned The Edge and he mentioned Midyear mm. who was you know amongst one of his many incarnations was um, was in visage yeah I love Red Sector there's a real flow to it a, a kind of new wave early new wave synth stuff I, I, I'm so warm to it but then as I said at the start it's not unusual for Rush to want to source any number of different genres for example reggae which is why I don't get on with track four <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't work for me yeah well, it's interesting isn't it uh, yeah, Alex Lyson calls out Andy Summers the enemy within has got the police written all over yes yes um, I mean at the, at the time Neil Peel was hanging around with Stuart Copeland okay. as well so yeah, um, yeah, it's yeah. probably not no. surprising that, that those rhythms and, and that kind of style yeah. uh, found its way yeah. in what about 
about you, Mark? Side one for you. I absolutely adore side one of this album. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I just think the balance of it is so good. You, you talk about reggae, though, Steve. There's a bit of ska metal mm. as well on side two. You could parachute the old uh, specials in and have them doing it. It goes back to that thing about the challenge of they've got a whole world of music changing in front of them. And, yeah, how do they get on that train? Well, they don't just get on the bloody train. They start driving yeah. the train, don't they? It's like, well, if we're going to do this at all, then let's do this properly. Yeah. Let's, let's properly do the 80s and let's show everybody else how it's done and yeah you're right you on the enemy within it could be the specials it could be the police it could be 10 cc mm-hmm. yeah there's loads of influences going on but the thing that i think always defines rush is and it's the, it's the, it's the pierce factor isn't it it's the lyrics and it's the lyrics are quite beautiful in in the sense of the phrasing is perfect the sentiment for the time is perfect it's lyrical in the literal sense And I just think this is a band that you just can't second guess ever. And like I said, it it was really hard for me to to kind of shift my mindset. The first time I put it on, I thought, oh, I don't like this. This is not the rush I know. By the by, by the time we sat down to do this tonight, I'm like, well, I'm, I will definitely be coming and playing well, this absolutely. again. Absolutely, because it's just been a glory ride from start. And I'd say this. I'd say the same about the other two, the other two rush albums we did of this sort of vintage, and excluding sorry, Rich, I'm going to have to say it, but excluding twenty one, mm. excluding twenty one twelve, yeah. which is the the rush I don't quite get as much. And um, but the ones we've done mm. since, you know, moving pictures and hold your fire, hold, and yeah, hold your fire, um, yeah, fantastic, yeah. absolutely fantastic. One other thing we should we should also pick up is the production, because uh, I think the production's okay. It, it it is quite thin, quite tinny. I mean, the remastered version's better. Even Peter Henderson said he he wasn't too pleased with it either. You know, the drums are too quiet. He blamed it on the equipment, um, which um, is bad work, man. Isn't it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Given really his job generally became the sound. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, uh, well, let's talk a bit about side two then. So side to uh, starts with the body electric uh, and then is, is followed by kid gloves red lenses and and the finishes between the wheels and I would say for me personally the, these first three tracks on side two are their weakest point uh, I think the body electric's okay kid gloves is quite fun I think red lenses is not good it's one of my least favourite rush tracks that gets my my low score of, uh, of the album uh, but then all is resurrected with um, with Between the Worlds which I think is a fantastic finisher uh, and actually really points forward in terms of what they would then do on sort of power windows roll the bones and uh, and uh, hold your fire uh, but um, how did you two get on with side two? Uh, generally speaking I, I, I'm with you I think side two is not as good as side one I, I can take or leave kid gloves to be honest I, it didn't really connect with me at all red lenses was alright I don't actually get what all the fuss is about with Between the Worlds but what I want to know is what is the significance of the number 73? <laughs> because 100100 equates to 73. Binary what? code for oh, 73. Binary, right. Part of the lyrics of the body electric is 100100. It apparently it equates to 73. So what's that code for in Rushland? I'm not <laughs> expecting you to know the answer. I don't think you've even thought about it in the last I haven't week, actually. No. I did. I, the first thing I did when I listened after the first time was go back and Google that binary code there you go listeners if you want something to do go out and google what 
all the binary code might be and what 73 might mean to Rush. Because 73. <laughs> so so I've, I've been I've been bothered, perhaps not bothered, I've been intrigued by this as well. And um, so I've been reading all sorts of 100101 is ASCII code for the letter I or something. What even, what even is ASCII? I don't know. You, you'd know that, I guess. But um, And I read this brilliant forum on one of these websites about people trying to explain that the mirror of 73, the 21st prime number, 37 is the 12th prime number. The number 21 includes factor 7 and 3. The number 21 is binary 101. And all these people waxing lyrical. So much wank. You could not believe it. And the thread was ended with one superb bullet point that said, yeah, if you convert P to hex, you get 506561724789. Then if you convert that to binary and add 1001001 SOS, you get a promotional code for a meatball sandwich at Subway. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are reaching a bit, aren't you? And it was just a brilliant book, um, and I thought, yeah, because it's um, it's a bit it's a bit weird, isn't it? But anyway, there you go. But I, I, I think I prefer this side. I, I quite like the body electric. I must admit, I think it's um, okay. I do okay. like it. I love um, I love it when when Lee comes in and adds some melody with his vocals, the keyboards. I don't know. It's um, the song's transformed. Kid Gloves is, is one of my favourites, and I will tell you for why. It's really? because the opening to this song makes me think. Of, I'm hearing it's one of those um, kind of more melancholy tracks which Blink-182 did in their early pomp before they became average. And it's, it's licensed guitar, sounds kind of quite like Tom DeLonge's. I don't know whether they're set up okay. so, and I really, really enjoy that. Red Lenses is just my, it's my Tai Shan moment, I'm afraid. I, I don't get yeah. it. I don't get it. And, and like you, I love I love Between the Wheels. I think it's a great track. I don't, I just don't get gloves at all. For me, it's, it's like, it's, it's like it sounds to me like the start of a big country song. Yeah, it just didn't, didn't connect with me. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. None of this album is an, is stuff that I would skip. Yeah, yeah. I, I found it engaging all the way through. It's just that this is less engaging than mm. yeah. All right, well, let's have some highs and lows from you both then. Steve, do you want to go first? Yeah, red lenses. Um, it's just, just on, a, on a wavelength. I'm not, I'm afraid. Simple as that. I gave that five and a half. And red sector A, um, I gave nine, which is the little, just a half point more than distant early warning. That's my high. Uh, well, I'm going to go kid gloves. I just uh, it didn't connect. I find it really difficult to get a piece of paper between the first four songs on this album. If I'm being absolutely honest, they all score more or less sort of the same within a spit of each other i think if i had to choose and i do then i would probably also steve go for red sector a but it would be pushed really hard by after image okay good i'm with steve and red lenses yeah i gave it a similar score about a five and a half i mean crumbs that's richard giving us a rush song five and a half jesus it's what's bad people it's yeah. bad and oh between the wheels red sector a uh, i'll give it to red sector a it's, it's just got everything okay so we'll see later where grace under pressure how that gets on compared to the other albums of tonight our hall of fame overall and the other rush albums that we have previously reviewed so we'd better first though turn to the third of our albums on our theme of energy in this episode 70 we move on to february 1989 and tesla's the great radio controversy mark Opening album sleeve notes. February the 1st, 1989. That difficult settle second album. Not a bit of it. Not a bit of it. Uh, if we thought Mechanical Resonance was good, then uh, Tesla had something really special up their sleeve two years later when they came out with this. This uh, was recorded during 1988, released on the Geffen album. It is an hour long, give or take 42 seconds. 
And my own personal feeling is it is too long by a little bit. Um, Steve, who's normally hugely intolerant of long albums, is going to tell you that he'll forgive it for its length. I won't. I think I think it's it's a couple of songs too long, but we'll have that argument in a minute. It's produced by Steve Thompson and Michael Barbero, recorded at Bearsville Studio, New York State, and uh, was followed up in 91 with Psychotic Supper. And what a difference two years makes. Right, the personnel, Jeff Keith, vocals uh tommy skioch i think guitars and backing vocals frank hannon guitars piano organ brian wheat on bass and backing vocals and troy Lucetta on drums got to number 18 in the uk spent only two weeks on the charts went to 34 in america and was the 73rd best-selling album of 1989 in the united states two million copies plus change uh, across the pond plus whatever bits and pieces they picked up across the rest of the world tracks 13 of them seven and six if you own the vinyl um, most of us owned the cd because Twas the time of CDs. Side one, hang tough, lady luck, heaven's trail, no way out, be a man, lazy days, crazy nights, did it for the money, and yesterday's gone. Turn mm. it over and you get making magic. The way it is, flight to nowhere, love song, paradise, and the party's over, but not soon enough, in my <laughs> view. Um, Tesla largely, lazily tagged as a glam metal band they've never been a glam metal band people they are a hard-working blue-collar rock and roll band blues-based gritty working class and they can write a bloody melody this is still even though i don't think it's as good as i thought it was back in 89 this is still is and always will be one of my favorite albums of all time um i get slightly misty-eyed when i think about it i got less misty-eyed after flight to nowhere uh but <laughs> But, you know, what, what about you two? You, I mean, you know this album really well, both of you. So I sent a text to you and said, oh, when you get to play the album, you've always wanted to play on the pod and it's not as good as you thought it was. And you, Steve, I could almost see the eyebrows shooting off. I your- know. I know. I thought, well, he'll, he'll, I can't believe he's saying that. I didn't have a CD player in 89. I've got it on vinyl. I'm still crying now, having put on Hang Tough. I'm, I'm still welling up. I'm a broken man. I'm a wreck. And um, I love this album like you did. And I still do. Still yeah, do. Yeah. Still yeah. Do. No, but I love it with a, I love it with a capital L O V E. That's the difference. Yeah. No, no. I echo everything you say that this is, this is not glam rock. This is blue collar rock done with such heart and passion. And um, I, I was thinking that they've, they've got this great relationship with Def Leppard, haven't they? And I was thinking, and this is the album Def Leppard should have written after High and Dry. I don't think they've got any complaints about what happened to them as a band. But you know what? This because this, this is this is the natural successor to Mechanical Resonance, which is kind of a High and Dry moment. And I just think this is such a brilliant, varied, wonderful piece of work. And that's why I say it's not too long at thirteen tracks. I'll listen to it end to end. I'll listen to it through happily, and, and I'll do it again the next time I play it. No problem. Love it. I, I think Tes- Tesla are a band that that they they are in a genre of one um i think they've left your traditional hard rock behind they're on their way to join queen's reich and um dream theater but have stopped halfway i've always loved them because they're just i think they're, they're such a unique unique band i've really enjoyed going back to this i mean there are some absolute belters on here there aren't any duff 
tracks but i am with you mark that this album for me should have stopped at flight to nowhere and i'd have been happy yeah well you'd have you'd have ha- the, you'd have forgone you would have happily forgone paradise unbelievable scenes unbelievable scenes <laughs> Those last three tracks have never done that. Okay. Much yeah. No. M- me either. And to be honest, that was true. That was true thirty years ago, uh, just as it is today. It's, I'm not saying anything different about those three tracks that I wouldn't have said to both of you then. I, I absolutely adore side one. Side two for me, it just it just tails off at the end. What I really like about this album, though, the lead guitars of Tommy Skeel and Frank Hannon and the bass of Brian Wheat, and particularly on on Hang Tough. I mean, my God, what a statement. That beefy bass work at the start of Hang Tough. It's just, that is a track that absolutely sets out their stall and sets the bar for where they want to go. I kind of think of Hang Tough as a companion piece to modern day count. Yeah, yeah no, you're not wrong. You're absolutely not wrong. And I'll tell you for why, because it's, it's that lovely combination of the power, the energy, the riffs an absolute treat. But it's the light and shade which which they put into tracks yeah. like a few other bands yeah. do with yeah. that magical little slow section. By any measure, this is a superb intro into any album. It's a stunning mm. track. And Keith emotes like no one else. You are right though, that Skiotch Hannon shredding, sharing duties. Fucking superb. I mean the proper twin guitarists. That's the other thing that makes them special, isn't it? They're a proper, proper yes. band. The balance is yeah. amazing. They'll each take a lead, they'll support each other. And this is just thumping isn't it what a start the problem you've got you think is following that up but they do it well, certainly as far as I'm concerned with both Lady Luck and Heaven's Heaven's Trail I think they're fantastic tracks two and three you know they're going to struggle to score as well as, as Hang Tough and indeed they don't spoiler alert but it's such a strong opening you know that first ten minutes they never let up I don't think this album dips for the first yeah, nine I was going to say you can't leave out um, making music making magic, making is, magic is for me is the absolute highlight of the album um, 
track one, side two. But it's the storytelling on this album as well that really gets me. They've got just the lyrical content is just blindingly good. <laughs> Interestingly, it's only Making Magic that Hannon and Skioch double up on lead guitar work. It's not, this isn't a Judas Priest arrangement. Hannon takes on most of the lead guitar work. For me, he is the star of the show. I take what you say about Jeff Keith. I think he's he's just brilliant. But the, the, the one slight complaint I've always had about Jeff Keith is he does reach quite a bit sometimes, not only on this album, but on every album that Tesla have done. I, I love Lady Luck as well. I just think it's got such a gorgeous hook line. Yeah, and I'll t- tell you where you notice Jeff Keith's vocals mostly is on a track like... For example, Lazy Days, Crazy Nights, which is um, track five. There's so many of them. You have to number them down. Track five. Track five. Yeah, track five. Where yeah. he does rein it in, and you wish he'd reined it in a little bit more. I'm good with it. I don't think it distorts the album in any way, shape, or form, because I think he's got a proper rock voice. It's on the edge, isn't it, at times, certainly. I love Lazy Days, Crazy mm-hmm. Nights. It's song of the album for mm-hmm. me. I love that slow yeah. groove. It's just the punch on it. It's just brilliant. Brilliant. I'll come to it now. I've got one slight issue on side one, and you're gonna you're gonna have to mock me or whatever you do. But that's um, be a man, which would be my weakest on the side. Oh, yeah, oh, be a man is the dip yeah. for me on side one. Yeah. Yeah. What about um, did it for the oh. money then? Oh. <laughs> but again, the storytelling and the best chorus on the album. I think you'll find that sort of slow bluesy section and um, drip back segue before that crunching exit is a stunning exit. I think it's a brilliant. Did it for the money is just an awesome track and it makes me happy I'm crying again just thinking about it <laughs> so what, what do we think then about the um, yesterday's gone that for me would push be a man as the weak point of the song. yeah great noise I've written some no nonsense hard rock I mean that just sounds like almost an insult mm. but it's um, I do like it it chases along doesn't it which is the great thing yeah. about Tessa isn't it? you've got these great varieties of pace I agree it, uh, it's, a, it's a nice closer it sets the album very nicely up for side two doesn't it first time you played it you thought ah right yep I'll flip that right over yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and, and the thing is then that when you did flip it over you spend the whole of every other occasion that you listen to Yesterday's Gone waiting to flip the album over because you get to making magic which is just as track one side twos go this is hard to beat mm. why wasn't this a single MTV would have lapsed this up was it a B-side or something I don't know MTV would have lapsed this up I would have thought the twin guitar work it's yeah. the only it's the only track on the album where they have a structured solo each and it just makes the track for me that absolutely brilliant I think it's the second guitar solo is Skiotch and it is just an absolutely brilliant lead guitar motif just kind of reverberates through the chorus absolutely brilliant makes just makes the hairs on the back yeah, of my neck makes me want to cry that chorus and that, that pick up into that pre-chorus the, the little change of pace yeah. it just gallops a bit and then that chorus is uh, I'm a sucker for a chorus that makes me want to cry and that's just <laughs> it, it's, it's magical <laughs> they've, they've said it it's exactly what it is do, do you feel as loved up about making magic? No, <laughs> I think <laughs> it's, you've got a heart of stone, my friend. <laughs> I, I think I think it's a good song. I think it's a good song. But no, there are there are others on the album I much prefer. Uh, uh, are any of them after making match? <laughs> well, actually, I, I I've given both the way it is and flight to nowhere a higher score. But I, I I side one's the side for me. Okay, so highlights wise, so so as far as I'm concerned, I really like flight to nowhere. I think that's a really good track. 
and I really like the way it is. Everything after that, I can, as we've already established, I can, I would quite happily sort of leave behind. If if somebody said trim three tracks from this album, I go take the last three off, please. The way it is 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 kind of a bit meh. I think. I mean, it's fine. Part of, I, I tell you, what, yeah, the way just, Paradise ends, you could have got away without parties over, but it would have been an odd end to an album. I think Paradise. I don't know, but they, they I like the outro to it. My issue is the juxtaposition between Love Song and Paradise. They shouldn't be together on the album. I, I don't think personally Double Edged Sword love song wasn't it because um, you know it was, it was the song that saw them soar to fame a little bit and it, it and it's, it's probably the least Tesla they love it don't they they absolutely adore it the band it's just everything that they like to be but to, to, it's, it's, it's almost like proving that they could do an imitation of you know some of Poison's milder moments you know they, they, they didn't need to do it I don't think interesting though I think there's quite a lot of guitar sound on this album that either it was de rigueur of, the, of that era or Poison Poison took it for flesh and blood. Mm. Tonally, they're quite similar albums. I'm not bothered about the way it is, I have to say. That would be my weak point on one side too, certainly. No, I like it. I like the rise and <laughs> falls. I like the sing-along keys vocals on it. are brilliant. You said earlier about the fact they got Love Song and Paradise stuck together. Why they didn't put those apart somewhere else in the, the order of the album. And then Party's Over. I mean, it's all right as a closer. They yes, try and lift the yes. energy up again, yeah. don't they? But it's all after the last two, I've kind of probably already decided I'm going to play something else now. But I don't generally like albums that are, you know, more than 11, 12 tracks because most of them are too long. And this is the best part of an hour, which is therefore, in theory, far too long. But for an album like, you know, The Almighty's Soul Destruction or Anthrax's Sound of white noise there just wasn't enough variety this album has it in in spade loads and, and, and it can sustain that I, level of I enjoyment you know, because because the songwriting is so good i think it's an outstanding album it's their high point it's absolutely their high point two i was going to say two things in closing one is this is an album by a group of songwriters mm. this feels to me like an album that has been crafted and comes from the mm. heart and the soul and the second thing is their time had gone it's, it's almost like this was it this was their big shot and for whatever reason this is a band that didn't become the stadium superstars that I think they mm. should have been you know this is this is the album that deserved to launch them to where Bon Jovi had been and is it just because they were too gritty and too working class and there wasn't enough sugar and glitter and hairspray in it I don't know but it is a phenomenal album absolutely Funny, isn't it? We saw them on we saw them on the '87 Hysteria tour, didn't we, with Def Leppard? I don't know which band was the was the yep. better of the two that night. <laughs> All right, highs and lows, uh, Richard. Let's start with you. The low would be between probably Love Song and Parties Over. I'll give it to Love Song. It just doesn't do that much for me. And the high, as I said earlier, it's got to be Lazy Days and Crazy Nights. Mm-hmm. Steve? Yeah, I get that. I get that. I mean, I've actually awarded Beer Man and um, The Way It Is have both got six and a half, which is as low as it gets. Um, so pick one of those, Beer Man, say, but oh, just oh, that opening, hang tough, off the scale. Every time. <laughs> okay, so uh, just same as Richard, really. Passes over or love song would be at the bottom. If I have to choose between a ballad and a faster song, I will always choose the ballad <laughs> because a ballad has to be really fucking good to, to win, o- win, o- win over me. Um, yeah, love song and yeah, making magic. Uh, just love that song from day one. Absolute day one. Um, there you go. That's it. Three albums done and dusted. We have listened to Flick of the Switch, ACDC. We've listened to Rush, Grace Under Pressure, and just now, obviously, Tesla's Great Radio Controversy. Let's go and score them, see where they end up in the Hall of Fame.
Reviews complete. Initializing rating process. So that was a good natter, wasn't it? About ACDC's flick of the switch, Rush's great under pressure, and um, Tessa's the great radio controversy. These are the scores that we gave them. I started with flick of the switch from 1983, and quite a difference in scores. Richard gave it 6.8. I gave it the middle ground 7.25. Mark liked it most of all 7.83 for an overall album score of 7, well, give or, give or take, 7.3. Richard, Rush. How did that get on? Grace Under Pressure. Well, actually, we were fairly similar for Grace Under Pressure. I gave it a 7.75. Steve, you were slightly lower at a 7.56. And Mark, a bit higher on a 7.93. Our averages came out exactly at 7.75. Seven and three quarters for Grace Under Pressure. Mark, how about the great radio controversy? We liked it a lot. So I gave it an 8.3. Richard, you gave it a 7.7. Steve gave it an 8. So I liked it more than Steve, even though I don't like the back end of it as much as he does. But it got an average album score of 8.02. We all like that one. So let's, let's have a look and see where they land up in the Hall of Fame. It's time to put The Rock in a hard place. Opening the Hall of Fame. Right, so here we are once again in the hallowed Hall of Fame. So we're episode 70, and that means 210 albums now grace these walls. But how have our three from this episode done? Well, we're going to climb up from 210 to the 180s, the 160s. uh, And unfortunately for our lovely dear friends ACDC, Flick of the Switch hasn't done too well because it's not even made it into the top half. It's languishing there at uh, number 135, just below Living Colours, Time's Up and just above Holy Diver by Dio. Obviously, this this kind of gives you a clue of the quality in this Hall of Fame. The fact that it's languishing (laughs) with Living Colour and and Dio, Dio. but uh, there we go. And we have to climb quite a fair few places higher, well into the uh, top 100 and nearly into the top 50, because Grace Under Pressure by Rush um, has managed to get in at number 59, uh, and they are a place above Out of Hand by Coney Hatch and a place below Little Queen by Hart. And let's keep climbing, let's keep climbing, uh, because we're nearly into the top 30 at number 32. Tesla have uh, reached uh, with uh, the great radio controversy, and amazingly, they are sitting right next to themselves at number 31, <laughs> Mechanical Resonance. Uh, so point naught one of a point but, but uh, splits these two albums from this band. But yes, we, out of scoring each track, marginally preferred their debut to their second. In, in terms of how the other bands did versus their other releases, well, in terms of Rush Albums, Grace Under Pressure, well, we've, we liked it a bit more than 2112, but not as much as uh, Hold Your Fire and certainly not as much as, as moving pictures obviously with acdc we've done back in black that's top of the pile let there be rock up is up there if you want blood you've got it is is up there highway to hell is at 64 so um yeah as i think our review of flick of the switch showed it is some way off the acdc pace in our view and the way that we score these albums just just one final footnote on the hall of fame before we move on um next week you're talking about quality and caliber next week physical graffiti will fall out to the top 100. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's amazing, and I know it will it? because I know the album I'm bringing. So there you go. Well, let's do that then. Let's let it's time to do that reveal. I think so. We spun the uh, the Tico Torres Tombola of topics and themes at the end of the last show. He spat out a number, and the number correlates with a particular topic, and it was epic title track. So albums that have an epic title track. Okay, now I'm going to be slightly strategic here because Steve confided in me before we started recording this that he has no backup plan. (laughs) 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 So, so Steve, we're going to let you. Oh, bless you! Yeah, I tell you what, I've made my decision before we'd even ended the Zoom call last week. So, um, yeah, I'm going back to 1985 and debut album by Exodus and Bonded by Blood. <laughs> okay, good. Well, there was no chance of anybody duplicating that. I think I think we could have happily left you to last, and you would have been all right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Richard, I do have a backup plan because okay. because you two nicked both of my choices yes, last we did. week. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, what have you chosen for next week's show? Well, I thought I'd go back to the 70s back to a, a band we have featured before and, and a vocalist that we have featured before but not with this band so I'm plumped for Deep Purple with Coverdale and the album Burn okay so mine just absolutely obliterates your two <laughs> I can tell you that now right double bass drum to kick off the album check band that got so fucked off with being told what album they should record they recorded what they wanted to record check the best lead guitar work you will ever hear on any album check ladies and gentlemen you are going to spend and you can thank me later your next week listening to Overkill by Mozart <laughs> so there we go that is uh, episode 70 of the Enter Sad Men podcast Thank you for your company. Hope you've enjoyed it. Go and check out the three albums we've been listening to. ACDC may be at 135, but it's still worth a listen. There's still some good stuff on that. And the other two speak for themselves. Join us again next time for Motorhead and a couple of other bands you've probably never heard of. We'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. All music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary, and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service. 